This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you're not gonna do nothing, you are not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know it, I know. What is poppin' everybody? And welcome back to another special episode of the Only Friends Podcast. Well, you know, I'm here with my only friends and that includes my boy Tart He <laughs> got it. That was an excellent throw. Thanks. Excellent throw. You could have caught that. Yeah, you know. I left I, it a little short. You know, as always, we are joined here with my sidekick, mm-hmm. Matt Berkey. How you doing, Burke, today? You had 30 minutes extra today to work on a better fucking intro than that. I there fucked is, it up, too. Is, and, you and, fumbled the words. I fumbled Sigma. words. It was all fucked he up. He 30 was, minutes, and he just couldn't come up with anything better, because there is nothing better. It's tr- Tell him again. There is nothing better. Preach to that man! <laughs> he couldn't get the words out. He didn't have his fucking maraca. Yeah. I mean, what are we even doing here? I keep forgetting this, is, this is why we're not getting picked up by ESPN. You, mm, you're turning this to some low-rent sideshow. <laughs> yep. That's why. You know? ESPN's coming, man. Don't, don't do that to me. Mm-hmm. Are they? I hope. Yeah. About five years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Got to put the blood, sweat, and tears in first. That's true. I, I mean, I'm here for the long haul. Big shout out to... to shout out. Shout to, out. Fellow Yinzer, Pat McAfee, he just mm-hmm. exited a $120 million deal with FanDuel in year two. So he signed a four-year deal last year, uh, making $30 million a year. They exercised one year of the contract. He left, put himself out on the market again, and got snatched right up by ESPN. Now, this is the part that I don't quite follow. In his announcement yesterday, he said they'll be changing nothing about the show. <laughs> slightly less F-bombs. He said slightly less, slightly fewer F-bombs, <laughs> but he did not say zero F-bombs. No. So they still have all creative control. Mm-hmm. They're running the show exactly as it, as it is. It's going to be on ESPN's YouTube page, but it will also be on ESPN, <laughs> ESPN2, and ESPN+. Plus. And e- oh yeah, you said yeah, ESPN's YouTube page. You said that. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So YouTube, I understand, will just be uncensored as always, right? right? Um, but Fuck yeah. what Pat McAfee <laughs> is about to be the new Sports Center? It's gonna run twenty four seven on each different like, but like ESPN channel. Is it gonna be live on YouTube and then syndicated on ESPN because they are going to swear a lot? I mean, I think, I think yeah, it'll be ran probably on like a you know. A thirty-second delay, and then there'll be someone there to just hit the hit the, <laughs> the button every time. I mean, yeah, maybe I guess. Yeah, I, I don't know enough about how the back end. I mean, of that they'll production probably try works, to be conscious as to how often. I don't think so, and I don't think they should. Yeah. That's that's part of the authenticity right. of. I, I mean, like, look, we know that YouTube punishes. Uh, if if you watch like yes. um, uh, Adam Twenty Two stuff at No Jumper, they edit all of the swear words. Mm-hmm. Uh, or a lot of them anyway specifically like there it's funny apparently there's like some real trigger words in the algorithm um you know F-bombs, don't, don't say anything <laughs> f-bombs being one of them but uh i guess there are other ones like that lean towards uh like not swear words but i don't like, i don't want to i don't want to get into the, like the the blacklist mm-hmm. of words but it's right. like it if could you, be considered like hate speech and that kind of stuff not or, even necessarily hate speech like things that like uh, are very divisive. Like, mm-hmm. 
talking about covid is is generally suppressed yeah. by the by the algorithm and a, a bunch of other words so it's like uh you'll be watching an adam 22 video and like you'll see you'll see uh an f-bomb get bleeped out and then you'll see the word murder get bleeped out mm. and it's just like now we gotta bleep out that word right yeah Bravo. i got it <laughs> get on it i'm on it um <laughs> So yeah, like there's there's some weird tricks to the algorithm, I guess, that will mm-hmm. or will not promote your video, or maybe it has something to do with. I, I think I watched a, a creator's video on this. Uh, it'll like instantly give you an NC seventeen labeling or warning or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, which, for what it's worth, you know, unless Guapo is setting up the stream for the day, we already have not safe for kids <laughs> on ours. <laughs> You're not going to let that one go, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> I just looked at the settings. I was young, like, man. Like, do, you have, do you have us targeting children? <laughs> we need to get monetized. I'm, I'm trying here. Speaking of targeting children, Guapa has a great idea right. for... <laughs> <laughs> let's slow down here. Let, let's, let's go to the next topic. <laughs> no, I actually do think this is a good topic. I mean, the segue was awful, but... The, <laughs> the segue is very awful. The topic itself, I think, is actually an interesting one. So, Guapo has a side hustle. He's gonna he's gonna start creating passive income. He wants to uh, start going down to the corner of Trop and Polaris, where the working ladies are. So, you and, know, and start interviewing them. Something a little fishy there. He only said Trop. How do you know it's Polaris too? Bro, I've driven oh. down <laughs> Trop before. <laughs> you think this is my first rodeo? I've driven down Tropicana before. I know where the collection of people hustling are. <laughs> That's why I, was, I thought it was weird that they were going to put the stadium there. Yeah, it's oh, either going to put them out of even, business or it's going yeah, to well, TEDx not, their now, business. I didn't even think about now, that. Now it's going to be where Tropicana is. I think it was a much uh, better fit. I think it was a much better fit at Trop and Polaris than, yeah, than on the Strip. Just, just too much congestion? Uh, there, so What about the Rio? People I thought, thought the, the same thing, the Rio though. Would have been great. The Rio would have been good, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the thing with... Anything to replace the Rio. The thing with T-Mobile is that they built it within the Strip. Right, mm-hmm. so it's like actually within the strip where right. you can park at any number of casinos mm-hmm. and walk internally right. to get to T-Mobile. That's not going to be the case for Trop. It doesn't adjoin to anything, right? It's it's now so far south on the strip that it's across. Uh, like once you cross Tropicana, like you're you're basically off the strip at that point. You know what I mean? Like I understand Mandalay Bay is down there, and uh, you know a couple other things, yeah. but. It's not going to be easy. They're going to build up around it too, so maybe it'll build, it'll extend out. Are, th- that's the thing. Are they though? Like, do they did they buy out the properties next door? I think it's like a Hilton or something. I mean, you would think it's like next door. You well, would think there would have to be a bunch of stuff surrounding the ballpark, just like every other ballpark where there's, there's bars and and restaurants. There's a couple of casinos right there. Also, it's um like the Oyo Hooters and yeah, that's what I mean. Like they 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 don't have parking, man. You know what I mean? Like, think think about how congested MGM's parking is, and it's the biggest parking garage on the entire strip. And that's now across the street. Mm-hmm. It's not like everywhere else on the strip where, like, you know, if you go to if you go to like Flamingo and Las Vegas Boulevard, there are overhead or overhang walkways. I, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think there's one crossing Trop. Yeah, there is. Is there? Yeah, from MGM to Tropicana. Yeah, both ways. Okay. There's one on both sides. Okay, so I mean yeah. that'll make it a little bit easier that MGM could probably alleviate some of the traffic, but yeah. it, 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 feel, like, it feels like, so disjointed from the rest of the strip. So it's only gonna be a 30k. Um, only. I mean, 30k is a lot, but like. I mean, they're think, not gonna sell out. That's really the. Yeah, but you also gotta no, think a they lot. Will, of, they will to start. 
right? I don't think, man. When it, all the newness is there, like it will. It, it'll, but then you have to the remember if the team does not. You have win, to remember it's then. not the same as hockey. It's not forty-one games. It's it's, it's 81. eighty-one games. For no, a lot of people, like know, they're going to be staying but, on the strip, so that's not going to be like a thing. Like it's going to be a lot. You know, gonna be, we're going to get a lot of tourists going to games and mm-hmm. stuff like that. What, a lot what of opposing teams. What percentage of of hockey games do you think are attended by tourists? A lot. Oh a shit! Lot. I would okay, say. Well, give me a percentage. Ten to fifteen. Okay, I think that's here in yeah. Vegas. Yeah, 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 ten to fifteen. Okay, I think that's Which, reasonable, and that's pretty high. I think maybe more. Like though. oh, like like yeah. around the got to be fucking really high. Like around the stadiums. Around I know the world. every time. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, of course, every of time I go to a every time I go to a game, uh, like a hockey game, there's a uh, there's a lot of the visitors. Um, sure, uh, jerseys everywhere, yeah. and it's because people plan trips. Yeah, right around they plan a Vegas trip around their team coming to Vegas to play. Shit. For Edmonton Vegas Knights game six or whatever it was, game five. Mm-hmm. I think it was whatever. Game five or six. They Edmonton had like a cheer going in like whatever into the stadium. Yeah. Like just yeah. rocking. They had right, so many yeah. fans there. Sure. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's completely reasonable. Uh but I think your estimate is like probably close to accurate. Like yeah. less than twenty percent is is tourists. So that means that you have eighty percent locals. They're yeah. not they're not Ubering to the game. They live here, right? It's gonna be the same. It's gonna be. I think it's gonna be worse with baseball because nobody's traveling to see the A's. Uh, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like well, you'll you'll have it, worth, but you have twice as much opportunity to do it, so it's spread almost, out now. Almost every time I've went to a Knights game, I've Ubered. <laughs> <laughs> I love driving. Down. By the time you drive and you pay to park and everything, and then you have to worry you, about you it. don't you have pay to pay to, to park. park. You're local. Your Berkey's what are you, a fish? friend, take his card or yeah, something. But I'm My just saying, God. Some people, <laughs> like, I valeted RA, Aria and it cost me a tip. Right, because you have a card. Right, I understand. I don't, have, I, a, think, I don't have a MGM. I don't play. Yeah, I never played I, MGM. I would, so I would I don't think most cars. locals would find a way to park for free. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, three you hours. if you want to walk far. Yeah, for up but, to three yeah. hours, you can park anywhere. Um, but the, the parking is not why. The, the parking fee is not why I'm. Ubering. No, I it's know. Like, you're gonna get drunk. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna have, get fucked up. Gonna have, then, gonna have yeah. a few beers. I don't want to be like, oh wait, did I have two or three beers? Can I drive? Like, yeah. you know, it's just more. It's just Uber so cheap that you just like worth it. Yeah. I'm fucking rich, yeah. man. How much? We're paying him way too much money. <laughs> what do you mean we? I'll pay him. <laughs> <laughs> you always talking about cutting me mm-hmm. off and shit. You are getting I'm, I'm on his mm-hmm. stuff. You're getting. <laughs> I, I'm done giving you a check, man. It's just going straight to the fucking tab at this I, point. I'm on his team. Yep. I'm just. I'm just black. I'm black carn it down there. I'm going to pay myself a salary indirectly uh, through you by just absorbing <laughs> your salary into the tab. <laughs> All right. The next wah, payment. Wah, wah, you hear that? Conrad, your next payment is going straight into Berkey's bank. Straight account. into the, you'll have it paid off in like uh, well, 18, years. 18, 18 months. 18 years. 18 years. 18 months. <laughs> Actually, that's not true because rent keeps fucking tallying up every single month. That, mm. That's true. So you yeah, know, probably like uh, yeah, about thirty six months. You know, three years of you hosting this gig, uh, you'll get the tab paid down. Maybe. And then yeah, so for twenty four. So three years from now, you'll get your first check, and it'll be for half yes. of what you're currently getting paid because the rest <laughs> is going to rent. Well, no, because ESPN will have signed us by then. Well, you think mm. you're getting a fucking hike? I Ooh, mean, a hike? <laughs> I'm getting a bag, bro. <laughs> you're getting, <laughs> getting the same thing you're getting right now. Hundred fifty dollars an hour. Do you think Pat McAfee is going to take his Wapo with him to uh, ESPN? Uh, yeah. So nothing's changing. He's taking his entire crew. Um, I like it. From what I read, it seems like ESPN is going to handle a little bit more of the back of the house stuff. 
But I'm I'm very confused by the deal that they're signing because the reports, the early reports are that he'll be getting um, what is just listed as like eight an eight figure deal for himself or salary or something like that, right? And I saw reports of it being somewhere in the neighborhood of fifteen million. But that's only half of what FanDuel was paying yearly. Less? Same. Yeah, half of what FanDuel was paying. And he has to pay his entire, you know, crew. Like, if they know that he's making $15 million and you're A.J. Hawk and you're the co-host, like, what percentage of that do you deserve? Mm-hmm. You know, some. So I can't imagine he took less money than the FanDuel deal. It would just seem insane right. to sign, like, a long-term deal with ESPN where they're probably pretty incentivized to water down your content a bit you know do a lot of make you work a lot harder for the for less amount of money i imagine that there's something baked in there where they're getting some sort of upfront money or or some back end stuff yeah or the deal is way more than 15 million a year yeah. or everybody's just getting paid a lot yeah well the thing is i don't think that works because if like if they put pat mcafee on salary that's the only person they can fire right but if they put his entire show on salary now they start to get have they, they start to have control over who they're paying if they want to make pay cuts and they say like I can't afford AJ Hawks five million a year, yeah. he's out, right? And like but I, I, I feel like that's something that they would want to have. Oh, from the way Pat McAfee was talking about it, he gave no autonomy to anybody but himself. Okay, so the show is just as is, not changing. They have full creative control. They, you know, the the parent company won't get to say who's get hired or fired. The only thing that I wonder though is we recently saw this happen with Barstool with Mitzi yeah. where he kind of slipped up and was reading rap lyrics or singing rap lyrics on air and dropped the N-bomb and Penn, is it Penn Gaming or? Yeah, Penn, Penn National or whatever. Yeah, whatever. Uh, who bought Barstool and is the majority shareholder now, axed them immediately. And they just said like, you know, we have zero tolerance for this because we're a public company and uh, it'll cost us basically. Yeah. So I wonder, I wonder to what degree uh, ESPN could put downward pressure on McAfee if something like that happens. Is Portnoy the guy that owns Barstool? Yeah. Yes. Well, Can not he any longer. He has a, a partial share, but they, they sold out to Penn, Penn National or Penn Gaming oh, or whatever. Oh, I gotcha. Um, so the, the... Or a real bag. Yeah. It's like, a, <laughs> like a quarter billion, right? A real bag. Maybe yeah. more? It was more than that. Yeah, it might have been like half a billion. Yeah. So why is he still doing pizza videos? <laughs> <laughs> Bro, you got, I had that kind of money. I, when you got a shtick, you got a shtick, yeah, man. Right. You know? Pizza's good, man. Got to find the good pizza. He he did one of uh he did one in Pittsburgh, but I can't remember if he actually went to Fury's or not. Dude, he shit all over Secret Pizza at Cosmo. Really? Oh, I've yeah, never he, been. He, he went real hard on that. I've never been, but I did hear it's good. But then again, I think that only drunk people go there. So yeah, it's only good when you're fucking hammered. Yeah. I was gonna say it, it's there. been good every time I had it, but it's like yeah, like it's never well done. It's always like this floppy thing. Well Just, done. I mean, like it's not. You like crisp? You like it like the the crisp? I, I like. I like, I like it folded. Like, yeah, and, and uh, I like I'm little, with you, Lamont. I want to drink my pizza. Right. I, I want, want it to I be so greasy that I actually have to drink. I don't care about grease. I just want it to be like folded up like a you know like a classic. New York slice. Yeah, but I want to hear the crunch when I. No, it. no, no. I want it to be nah. so goddamn wet. So you no, like your you like your pizza wet, but your meat dry. Meat dry. Yeah. <laughs> I want it to be so sloppy Dude, that if you pizza. don't fold it, it's actually going to just run off of it. Right, so. that's right. That's I do like that you fold it up and then you go to eat it, and when you you like this, and then the grease starts dripping dripping yes, down your forearm. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And the, the first bite is actually like you just trying to prevent it from running away from you. <laughs> I'm no. the napkin guy. I'm the guy that throws like ten oh, napkins. Oh no! On. No way! What is that? 
You dampen the... does that? Oh, oh to come get all on, the grease bro. off? Yeah. No come way. On, does this look like good pizza Listen, to you? Listen, pizza's not good unless, like, you when you go to fold that bad boy, you hear a crunch. I feel it, uh, that... Oh. Crunch. I don't like it too, too nice soggy. And... I get it. I get it. Well, I mean, you can still be very greasy on top and still have a little bit of the bottom and have a little crunch to it. It just depends. I, I can't think of a good crunchy pizza. I guess Pizza Hut. And that's like not a good pizza. What did you say? Pizza Hut. Well, I'm trying that's to think of like, like what crunchy pizza I've ever eaten. And it was like Pizza Hut. Mm. I don't even. I've never. Which was not pizza very. Hut. Pizza Hut's not very good. It's weird. Pizza Hut's very unique, right? Like, there's no other pizza in the world that tastes like Pizza Hut. Right. And I can't really put my finger on what it is about it's it. It's like McDonald's, the same thing. Yeah. Like their food just tastes like no matter where you go, <laughs> it has that, that distinct taste where you're not going to get anywhere else. Yeah, which, uh, listen, I'm not trying to make an argument for Pizza Hut because I don't no. even, of the right. chains, I don't even think it's like one of the better ones, right. but it's nowhere near as assy as McDonald's. Like, McDonald's just tastes like ass no matter what it is that you ordered. It's just ass with ranch. <laughs> I don't know. Their fries are pretty <laughs> good. Could I have an order of ass, sir, <laughs> and a side of ranch to dip it in, please? You know, like uh, no ranch a dirty pleasure pizza, I would say, that like always as a kid I thought was good. Go on. Chuck E. Cheese. Mm. For some reason, Chuck E. Cheese was a crunchy pizza. <laughs> mm-hmm. Chuck E. Cheese was a crunchy pizza, and I can get behind it. I, I do remember that being. You know why I think I dislike uh, like well-done pizzas? Because all I think of is Foxes. Mm. What? And so there was a so Yen's Fox's thing, Pizza sure. Den. I don't know if it was a local chain to us or if it's like an East Coast chain. But I think it's local to us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's called Fox's Pizza Den. And it was the worst fucking pizza on the planet. Shout out to Fox's Pizza yeah. Den. <laughs> 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 Pennsylvania. It was like, Damn. It was like this sauce. Like, the sauce is what made it so incredibly inedible mm-hmm. uh, I mean, the pizza crust itself, it was already like that kind of that like extra doughy pizza hut-ish type of... I was of, never a big fan. Uh, right. Type of pizza. But the sauce on it was like... It's like as if ketchup curdled. <laughs> you know? It, it was no, like... It, 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 wasn't, it, it like wasn't even spread on the pizza. It was just on there in clumps. It looked like somebody mm-hmm. took a spoon of like chunky sauce and just like went dollop, dollop, dollop and threw like some shitty ass cheese on top. Now, Davida's pizza. That was good pizza. You, so, dr- wait, you, you drank the Vita. Yeah, you trying to, was exactly. it like a, like a fancy type trying to be pizza? No, 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 no. Oh, it was okay. the cheapest pizza on earth. It was like uh, it was like frozen pizza. The <laughs> frozen pizza is actually. You know why it was squared? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of. Square I don't like pizza. square pizza. I mean, the, you have to do it right. Like if you do a grandma's pie, you know it, it's like good grandma's. with a lot of pepperoni and it's thick and it's like that's what you're going for. Then yeah, but. Like it's just a regular old square pizza. Yeah, it it had that not, not it had that school lunch pizza burger yeah. sauce yeah. to it that yeah. was just fucking disgusting. Mm-hmm. That was not good pizza, man. Oh, Tease was good. Tease was good. Tease used pizza. cornmeal though. Yeah. I think that's why I liked it. This guy knew all the ingredients of every. I, I, I could just, you know you could just taste. <laughs> you could taste the corn so heavily yeah. in in the bites of pizza, especially me because I took the cheese off when I was a kid. So, like, I'm eating crust and sauce. It's basically a breadstick, right? They put corn in their dough? For sure. For sure. There's, there's, I, I would bet I'll a lot of money on it. Right, I'll, I'll call them. I'm going to call them right now. This is my go-to meal. Nobody will remember the, the phone number. I, <laughs> I ate two five. things growing up. The, the shitty apartment that I lived in was right above a bakery and right next door is the Tease Pizza. Mm-hmm. 
So if I wasn't getting fucking like M&Ms at the pharmacy for a dollar food stamp and I actually had some change that I shook out of the couch cushion, <laughs> those were my two go-tos. Yep. Strong. Get a bear claw in the morning and a, and a personal pan on the, in the afternoon. Well, if anybody needs a recommendation, Landini's here in town, I think is very good. Sounds very Italian. It is. Well, or is if good. Landon pretended to be Italian. <laughs> Old school pizzeria is really good. No, there's one by uh, us that's really good. Nah. Oh, nah, uh, they, nah, they don't fell off, Famili guys. Yeah, they have. All right. Familia. Yeah, yeah. All right. Familia. Familia. They fell Familia. off. Not good. Not as good as it used to be. I haven't ordered it in which, a year. You know, ingredients are getting more expensive. I understand. <laughs> the pepperoni might not be quite as uh, as good as it used to be. Right. I literally haven't ordered the pizza in a year. It's not um, good anymore. Yeah. I'm talking a lot of shit. I do not yeah. eat pizza often I, at all. No. I mean, very, very, very rarely. I would eat pizza as I much. I kind of want some pizza right now. Yeah, I know. I would eat, <laughs> you guys are talking about it. Like, it sounds good. As Please. much as possible uh. in life. Like, I love pizza. When I go to New York, that's all I eat pizza yeah, and bagels. Of course, you have to. That's, that's what, that's that's what, you what do. they're renowned for. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just because I missed that. <laughs> you're, you're not going there to get sushi. I mean, why not? No, they, have good, they also have good sushi in here. No, yeah, of course, but like not commonly. Right. It's not like you can walk to a corner shop and get a good Right, right. You think sushi. of, yeah, right. You think of bagels. You think You're of not going to get a pizza, bad, you think of a bad good, bagel or a bad pizza. Good hot dog, some good street meat. Bro, I'm out on street meat. Oh, you'd love street meat. I'm, I'm out on street meat. Um, Guapa, before, before we get into this, I, I need you to flesh out this idea. What, what are we doing on, on Trop and Players? What's the uh, new YouTube channel? Well, I didn't want to have to tell everybody about it, but there's two YouTube channels. That's all right. Uh, no one's going to beat you to the market, man. <laughs> there's, there's two YouTube channels where all this guy does is drive down the street and just films girls working, and he's getting millions Hold of on. views. Wait, like he's voyeuring? He, he's basically got a setup in his car mm -hmm. that shoots girls like as he's passing by them and then another camera in the back that's as he's leaving. I don't like that. So it's like a 10-second like a clip? All it is is... No, 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 no. It's like he's just going up and down the street. Like basically he's... Like he's a John and okay. he's just going up and down, up and, and down. And talking going, to them? No, no, no. Just driving past. I don't them. like that. That's super crazy. That just seems. Yeah, that's a violation of privacy. I, I don't like that well, at all. It's, not, they're on a public street. Like, yeah, I get it. Like, you know, whatever. We're, we're playing pretty loose and fast with the rules here. But like, what the fuck's point? I want to do like an interview. Oh, <laughs> you're, you're, you're talking about a lot of production now. Look, and, you're the guy for the job, man. I think I think we're going to do some man on the street stuff on uh, Tropicana and Polaris. And I'm going to be that guy. Yeah, right? you're going to be the guy. <laughs> you know, you're our guy. I, <laughs> somehow I think Bosky would be better for this. No, 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 no. Come on, man. You're going to get Bosky's going to try to like take yeah. them home. You're going to get to know like how they got to their position Bosky's in life. Like a strip club. Right. Yeah, like you you're going to you're going to sit down and you're going to really get to know them as a human and that's what we want. We want to connect with the, uh, the sensitive side. I got you. Yeah. I see where you're going. Have you ever seen the channel uh the Deep White Underbelly or or something along those lines? Deep White Underbelly. Oh, where they just have a great backdrop and yeah. they they interview like Pimps drug and dealers, drug dealers. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's that, really fascinating yeah. to me. I think that, like, uh, I'm being serious. I know this kind of started off as a meme, but I'm, I'm being serious. I, I think there's a lot that can come, like, a lot of good that can come from hearing those stories mm -hmm. of, you know, people that have kind of gotten trapped in the struggle or those that even choose to be there, right? Like, I'm sure for everyone, it's not necessarily, like, just a means to an end. There, sure. There's probably some people who are just like, I really enjoy this lifestyle. You know, it's kind of fascinating to hear so stay tuned we got a new youtube channel coming it's gonna be called <laughs> drop and players 
<laughs> Led by our man Guapo. All right, we're on it. He's gonna be passing out tortillas on the on the court. <laughs> I knew it was coming. <laughs> it's just a matter of time. I was thinking we could sell them pizza, but <laughs> this, this is all Andre's fault. Yep, he was the one who started the uh, tortilla bit. All, all right. right, let's get into Where some poker he? talk. He's, he's in, in Cyprus. Cyprus. Uh, he's in Malaysia, huh? Yeah. A little Malaysian, he's in, ankle, he's in Malaysian ankle biter. <laughs> We're near Malaysia. <laughs> He's in the Mediterranean. It's across okay? the ocean. Same thing. Conrad uh, wouldn't know Malaysia existed if Andre didn't say that he was Malaysian. <laughs> You're wrong. Okay. Am I? Yes, I'm infatuated with Asian food. Okay. <laughs> what's what's the main cuisine of Malaysia? I have no idea. Okay. But I know Malaysia was there. Okay, that's fair. Um, let's get into a little bit of poker talk. So uh, I guess the first brief thing to discuss is uh recently after doug did a bit of a i don't know if expose is the right word um on ian o'hara kind of uh highlighting a bit of the trials and tribulations that ian has gone through over the last couple of years where uh he rolled a couple of his backers john jaffe and kane callis uh we saw a public tweet today from ian where he was t- selling 20 percent to uh the 1k moneymaker tour where is the moneymaker tour by the way west palm beach okay so he's back in florida then i assume right that's where he's always been no he was here for a while he had a place in meridian i think i'm pretty sure ian lived in florida for the last couple of years he's from florida yeah Yeah, um but prior to the prior to the whole thing falling out uh he was he was in vegas for quite some period of time um he used to play the the penthouse game but I think that um, if he's back, wait, West Palm Beach, is that South Florida? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So then, yeah, he's probably grinding like hard rock-ish area and whatnot. Um, kind of a weird, I mean, it kind of segues us into today's conversation, but it's kind of a weird spot, right? Because he obviously owes a lot of money to people. So it looks pretty fucked up to publicly sell. Yeah especially given the past history where he used uh, that, those sort of tactics to, to just kind of like make money. The only thing that I was interested, he's only selling 10% of 1K. It was 20%, right? Oh, I thought it was 10%. Either way, it's still only a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. But that does kind of just seem like uh, I need a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, you know, like this is the easy way to go about it. I, I shouldn't say that because like, I don't know that it's, it's, uh, it's the right approach because in order for him to pay people back, he has to play. How else is he going to earn money, right? Um, so I guess, like, what do we think about him putting this out publicly amidst all of the the controversy? Probably should have reached out to the people that he does owe and just say, hey. I think maybe it just kind of shows that he doesn't care. I mean, maybe that's the wrong take, but... I, that is I mean, the way... You're, you're of, selling for 200 bucks. I yeah, mean, that is kind of the way it came off. But at the same time, you did just say that he has to play to pay these people back so that's also true when you're in like a situation like this i guess like you just speak to the people you owe and just say hey listen i have this action available that i'm gonna go to play this tournament this action is available let's assume that they don't want it yeah obviously but you have to tell them yeah maybe they did but or maybe he did maybe he didn't we don't know like i I didn't see jaffe or kane speak out but i guess my point is like let's assume that they don't want it now what is what's his recourse well yes i mean Probably what he did. Yeah, because this is kind of the weird thing, right? Uh, I feel like all of us onlookers would be more comfortable if he was selling privately. 
But I also feel like if he was selling privately, it's more likely that he can just continue to do what he's been doing. Whereas if he's selling publicly, there's at least some chance. If he's selling privately, it would just kind of look scummy. And like if anybody that knows about the previous situation, which is everybody, because Doug made a video about it. Right. Then they would just say that there's probably something going on here. But we're kind of saying the same thing publicly too, right? What do you mean? Like when he posts publicly like this, he basically got shamed into taking the post down and now his account's private. I I, Listen, I'm not saying that um, he should be shamed. Um, I he should, I guess he should have reached out to some people. I'm torn, to be honest. I think he uh, should. I think I'm not. I, I mean, here's here's kind of like my perspective on it is that uh, I completely understand him trying to sell. Yeah. And I even understand that it's probably for everybody's benefit that he does it in the public eye. Yeah. Because we can be uh, we can scrutinize it a little bit more. I think my take is that he just doesn't have the right to sell any. Like he's he's lost the privilege. You know, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Um. But. And like, you know, maybe Kane and John never get paid back, but that's kind of, I think that that's kind of the ultimatum that you run into, uh, whenever you are making a decision to be a scumbag or not is like, if this all goes sideways, I can never do my job again. Yeah. And I think that that might just be an okay resolution. Like maybe it is okay to shame him for selling because he doesn't have that right anymore. Right? Like, he's just lost the privilege. Yeah, I don't know. I know um, he definitely didn't speak to everybody else about, like, yeah. selling pro- publicly. Yeah, yeah, fair. But, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure what his... But do you think that, like, they would prefer that they had the action? I mean, the kid's a good player. Like, he's not, like... Yeah. It's unfortunate, like, he came across the situation, but, like, or he put himself in this situation, but, like... Yeah, I would think a lot of people would want his action. It's weird because like we can look at Chino as maybe the the primary example of uh someone who is constantly owing but also constantly in action because he's very good. Yeah. And it's a weird it's a weird juxtapositioning because Chino never truly rolled anybody. But there was plenty of times where he owed a fuck ton and was playing yeah and when you're the one who's owed you feel a certain way about that like oh you owe me 20k but you're playing this 10k event like you could have just started to pay down your debt uh but like also does he ever have 100 percent of himself in these situations no of course like, of course like there's some there's some underlining situations always well that's that's kind of the the question that's being posed right like uh how 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 far are you allowed to extend the liberties when you're in debt Right, because for the people who oh, who, for the people who are owed, they don't care about you making a, a way. They don't care about you making a living. Right, yeah. they just care about getting paid back. But their only recourse is through him playing. Correct. Wait, their so, only recourse is what? Through him, for him working. To play through win. him working. Yeah. Like, okay, so here's uh, and this might be a little naive. If he's selling for two hundred bucks or twenty percent of a thousand dollar buy-in, isn't he better off just getting a regular gig? Probably. You know what I mean? Like if it's yeah. if he's selling that little, aren't you better off just getting a regular nine to five, start playing and working your nine to five, and start paying people back? I think the bigger issue with selling twenty percent is that uh, there's no way that he has eight hundred dollars, and, and that's the that, that's the breaking the point. Right, that's, yeah. that's the point that I'm trying right. to make. It's right? Like, yeah, it's like just get a job, dude. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's either a situation where like he's backed and. Uh, you know, this is a way of 
earning extra liquidity because he's going to roll. Or uh, it's a situation where it's like he's just testing the market to see if he can sell again. Uh, obviously, I'm making a yeah. lot of uh, hypothetical uh, speculation right. here. If you sell 20% to a 1K, that's 200 bucks. But if you sell 20% to 21Ks, then it's starting to be real a money. A little different. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, like, we don't know what the future plans were. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe this was, like, to test the market if you could get mm -hmm. a World Series package out there. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tricky spot because... I kind of think that it's just, I think it's okay for people like this to just fade out of action. And I think it's like kind of good for the market to just say like, look, man, you've lost that trust. Uh, we're, we're just not buying, even if he's a good buy, mm -hmm. right? Like, because the thing is, is the, the market's getting a lot more competitive and let's say Ian is good enough to be worth 1.5 in the moneymaker tour, but there's a 25% chance that he's going to roll you. You're kind of talking about like pretty thin edges now. Uh, whenever you're you're choosing to buy in an already like very very uh, high variant spot to begin with, so it's like there are just better ways to invest your money if you're a buyer, and um, if you're one of the people that are owed, it's weird because like you want to get paid back, right? But at the same token, uh, what's the probability that that's ever going to happen? And if it's low enough where you can just kind of write this off anyway, aren't you just better off kind of just policing? The, the market to some degree. I don't know. I feel like Chino's just like this big outlier where... Well, Chino's all squared up at this point, right? Probably. I mean, I don't know. It's tough to know. Okay. But the point is, is that like he's done a pretty great job of uh, always finding a way in action to square himself up. But it's also like the gambler's ruin. So that'll just always be the case until it's not. Right? Yeah. Like what happens when he just doesn't have that big seven-figure score to pay back a bunch of people who he's been uh, indebted to for a, a period of time. And the other thing is, from the other side of it, the people that are taking the risk, that are either loaning or buying or, or whatever the case may be, they're all doing this interest-free. And But, you know, also, somebody else, I was thinking this, and then somebody said in the chat, like, you can't expect him to get a job and, like, start paying back this number. Like, Why? Because, well, this is money. Well, let's think about it. If He, was he owes, like, a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's that's so, a. So like, and we don't even know if Ian went to college. So let's say like he gets a low level job making fifteen dollars an hour. Well, fifteen to twenty dollars. Even if he makes a hundred k a year, yeah. he'll never pay it back. Like, yeah. I mean, that's. I guess that's a good point too. Sixty to seventy. Sixty k is just like life expenses alone. But if you're owed this money, would you rather just be getting a little bit of money every single? Six months versus just not knowing if you're ever going to get paid well there's a high you'll get there's a high point of getting paid if like i mean it's just like balancing the highs and the lows like if he rips off a tournament somewhere you get paid a lump that's sum. the thing though but isn't this guy's mo to just bounce with yeah. people's money but like it, that's that's the biggest problem is that you don't like if he just randomly comes out to the world series finds him himself in the million dollar bounty and he fucking plucks it okay and now has a million dollars that's yeah. not going to go to jaffe and and uh kane because someone had that action. Yeah, he would get a portion of it. Yeah, he would get a portion of it that he needs to live off of and continue to try to... So now it just becomes this snowball effect of like, okay, why well, 25% of myself? Now I have a quarter million. I'll give you guys like, you know, 25K each. And then I'm going to use this other 200 to play off of to continue to try to pay you back. But like, we could just look at it similarly to the way we look at getting a real job. He's, his earning potential, especially now as somebody who can't really get himself in action, is probably 100K a year. Right? So it's the same thing. Whether he gets a job or continues to dabble in the gambling space, the only difference is that he could have a windfall where there's a small likelihood that he could pay back some chunks. 
Hmm. But the reality of the situation is because he's out of action, because there's no way back into people's good graces, he probably is just resigned to making like a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand a year. And he has to do it in a way where, you know, he's low key finding backing, whether that's through selling or or getting somebody to to stake him, you know? Um I, I think it's more Is it better? Sorry, is it better that if he does have a a big score to just pay, just give it all back and be like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm. Uh, you can see that I'm, I, I'm trying to get back into good graces by giving this entire score back, and then maybe he can get backing, or maybe he can get. It is a better chance to keep him in action without him using his own money, and he's paying. Well, down the thing a is, chunk. is that if he doesn't pay it off, like fully, I don't think that there's any more goodwill in giving back, say, a quarter of it versus like ten percent of it. Right, I, I don't think he earns any extra goodwill. If he if he has a million dollar score and he had twenty five percent of it, mm-hmm. I don't think he earns any extra goodwill by giving the whole two fifty as opposed to just giving. You don't think? Why? Well, because, he stays because he's literally hour. giving every dollar that nobody, he has. But nobody to... can confirm that. That's true. I mean, I, I mean, now and, and now true, he yeah. now if he does actually just honestly give every penny that he has, mm-hmm. he's out of action again. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's survival of the fittest. And uh, in, a, in a big way for him, it's going to be a, a, a survivor mindset, mindset, no matter what, right? Until that debt is zeroed, he's never going to be able to have some sort of abundance approach to, uh, to poker as a whole, right? Yeah. So for him, he's just going to do what benefits him the most. I have a question, by the way. Good. Where are these jobs that pay 100K a year? Bro, it's 2023, <laughs> like... Yeah, you look at like fifty. Yeah, you, yeah, maybe. To just, I mean, like to just lucky, go out and get a hundred k a year job is not an easy thing to it's do. Not at all. A thing. No, not at all. Not for the general populace, but like people coming out of poker, especially somebody who's pretty intelligent, you're going to be networked. You're going to be in the situation where like you have some sort of skill set to offer. It's not like you're just you know walking up to a McDonald's and saying like this is all I can do. No, right, but. <laughs> Yeah, he could he could probably get a mid level management position somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, like, those don't pay a hundred thousand dollars. No, no a doubt. Year. But at least yeah, there's yeah. a way to get there. I mean, right? Maybe he's, he's not going to start at the bottom. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's, you mentioned Chino. I kind of saw, and I don't mean to like bring up old stuff. Um, he just won a ring. Uh, Maurice. Oh yeah. Maurice just won another mm-hmm. ring, and I know that he was kind of like, perhaps. Being, uh... It's a it's a weird thing with Maurice because uh, I know firsthand about some people that uh, he owes money to, and I don't know like what the resolution of that ended up being. Um, but he's a, he's another one where it's kind of like always on the low uh, as far as like how in debt he is or is not. So publicly, I think a lot of people see his success and. Uh, you know he's a he's a boisterous person who exudes confidence uh on the table and off and i think that like the public perception is probably that you know he's on the up and up and uh these scores are all just padding his bankroll and he's living a pretty good life but i think behind the scenes yeah he probably is uh <laughs> a, a lot closer to chino than anything else i i don't know if i can say for sure that like he's doing it in in bad faith though because like nobody really comes public about this stuff yeah i think that there was like maybe a year ago or so um there was an article about his old backer yeah it was money and but yeah, i think yeah. something went to litigation and 
I think that person got paid. That actually no. went to court? No. I, I, saw something, paid, I saw something about going to court. I don't know if he got paid or not, but I know that he was the backer was owed this money. The last thing I saw that he was, it was, yeah, he was owed money. He just didn't get Also, paid. these rings aren't like big events. No. No, I mean, he won it for 55 this time. Yeah, like that's, you know, nice, but uh, assuming that you are backed or selling in some capacity and you have outstanding debts with other people, like that's not much, much to take home. No, of course. Um, and I do think that that's like one of those situations where when you're in Maurice's shoes, if, if it is a situation where like you have an outstanding debt greater than the 55k, uh, your choice is now keep the money and make it work for you in hopes of paying back the debt down the line or pay it all off and then start back from zero, uh, where you're the one struggling. And of course, you know, from our perspective it's like well do the right thing pay back pay back all of it and you know start from zero and struggle but from a practical money management standpoint that's that's definitely the wrong choice right and from a selfish standpoint that's definitely the wrong choice okay so, that's yeah that that makes more sense for sure uh so yeah i think like when these small scores crop up the likelihood of people getting paid back is very 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 low right um whether it's you know maurice ian or or anybody in between I think like at most you get some good faith money thrown your way a couple thousand bucks here and there but uh it, it probably also matters like what your relationship is with him right like if if you're ian and you owe kane and john who that bridge is completely burned and they're never going to give you another cent to play again but then you owe three other people that have been kind of keeping you in action currently in hopes of paying back kane and john those three other people are getting paid back first right Right. Like no matter what, because yeah. your image is already tarnished, your your ability to uh, hold your head high in this community is already ruined. So it's just about staying in action, and you're gonna do whatever that you're you're gonna do whatever it takes to facilitate that. So if you have three new debtors that you owe and you haven't burned those bridges yet, you're gonna try to mend fences as quickly as possible there, because there's potential future earning opportunity through them. It's a very weird. It's a vicious cycle. Ian made me twelve k. <laughs> How? You swapped with him in something? Um, no, I bought like one or two percent of him in Florida like two years ago. And what? Uh, he got in like his whole series package. Oh, in the uh, when he got second or whatever in the Sherpa main. Yeah, he got third, second, third, third. maybe. Yeah. yeah, and you got paid right away, huh? Yeah, he paid me like a week and a half later. I didn't even hit him up. I mean, in those spots <laughs> where you buy publicly, I think you're a lot safer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's kind of why I brought up the question to begin with: of like, do you think that? Uh, him selling publicly is a good or bad thing. Like I, I honestly, I don't know if there's a, I don't know if there's a path to redemption for what at this price point at this point, and if there was, it's only like debt free, which is so impossible with those numbers. Yes, and like, I mean, if there is a path to redemption, or he, I don't know, zero to a million is fucking hard. Man. Yeah, I mean, listen, he owes these people money. And if he talks to these people and works something out that where he stays in the game somehow or and he's paying X amount or doing whatever he can do, yeah, then that's, I guess, for, on the right path. Maybe. And, like, I, I, I don't know if, yeah. Yeah, I maybe. Know. I don't know. If, I, if I'm John and Kane, uh, I probably would have lost hope the second that I went public with the story. No, yeah. And I course. probably would just continue down the path of... Uh, ensuring that this guy stays out of action and just write it off as a loss otherwise. Yeah, I mean, that's their own... It's honestly the balls on their court. 
yeah I would, I would say i just know how these things work in the sense that uh when somebody owes a million dollars to two people there's going to be a dozen other people that are owed a smaller figure yeah it, it just has to be that way always yeah. because like the like ian isn't just like sitting around going homeless you know he's still finding a way to to fend for himself and you can't fend for yourself with no money so like there has to be a source somewhere right um it's have just you, a vicious cycle whenever you're a good poker player who's broke right have, especially have you if you ever don't have good standing on a big uh, on a big deck oh yeah god yeah uh, <laughs> yeah i i mean um, to this day yeah oh wow yeah uh, i you know one of the one of the early um aspects of of starting solve for why like uh i paid off a huge debt for a friend and i'll never see a penny of it like i just know that's written off do you see this person out and about no oh no like you know part of the part of the agreement of me helping him was that he would get his life in order get out of poker totally and and kind of move on with things but i also know that whenever i encourage that uh there's going to be no seven figure scores there's going to be no you know massive 500k windfall where he can just give me 200 of it something like that so yeah, I, I knew I was eating the debt, essentially, uh, when, it, when I decided to make it right. I, I just think of those situations where it's like low probability of getting paid back, but high probability that you have to give the money out as a gift, right? Like, if it's a situation where I don't see any other recourse uh, other than helping this person for one reason or another, be it because of our relationship or some other outstanding uh, reasons... So I just know that the money's going to come out of pocket one way or another. I don't trick myself into thinking that I can control uh, his ability to pay me back. Yeah. And instead, I just like look at the reality of it. It's like, okay, well, if moving forward, his path is actually going to be regret regression into normal life and live some sort of normalcy. We're not going to start a loan payment. You know, I'm not going to expect 500 bucks a month from him. It would be nice. That's the point that I was trying to make about Ian getting a regular gig. But yeah, yeah but you'll it, never it, get paid back. I get but, it. Right. That, that's the thing. It's just, it's just goodwill. Yeah. Because if I got a couple hundred bucks a month, it would take him three lifetimes to pay me back what he owes me. Right. And it's still, you know, the money's depreciating in value every single day. It's interest-free. Like, it, it's, it, it was just a gift, honestly. It, it has to be. Otherwise, you're going to go insane. Like, same thing with, I've given family a bunch of money where they're just like, you know, uh, I, I came into hard times, like, you know, I need to get the surgery or uh, when my dad retired, he was like forced into retirement six months early so that they could cut his pension a, a bit or whatever. And he's like, I need X amount to like get me through until my pension kicks in. I'll pay you back, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you won't. And that's, that's fine. You know, it's like, let's, let's just have an honest conversation and say that like, you're in a position to help. I need help. And I don't know that I'm ever going to be able to repay this. It's like, okay, fine. Like that's, that's completely reasonable because if roles were reversed, like it'd be hard, but you hope that there are people in your life that can pick you up that way too. Uh, I think it's like very important in this industry. That's funny. This isn't a pride thing either. And this isn't me boasting, but I, I've never really had to like ask people for money. I just feel like I've always just made it happen. I would honestly be embarrassed to like ask a friend or family to be like, Hey, I need X Same. amount of money. Well, I, you've never been fucked up. <laughs> i mean same i i haven't uh i went broke in 2012 and i never had to ask anybody for a penny i ended up taking on like 15k of credit card debt trying to get back on my feet but without asking 
Birdo gave me a 5k gift and he it was the exact same thing like he made a made it a point to say this isn't a loan right it was like I i'm gonna pay you 5k for coaching and it's like you play recreationally you don't fucking want coaching <laughs> you have my number you can call me anytime you want like we talk about poker every single day i'm not charging you and he insisted and i turned that 5k into 500 and it's like you know, five hundred dollars. Okay, I, I, was, I was hoping. You need to clarify when you say five hundred. I, I turned. I lost forty five hundred first night out. <laughs> like twenty four no. hours later, turned it into five hundred. We, we know what Berkey did. He yeah. turned it into five hundred k, which is uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, so it's like uh, I, that's kind of my mindset with this stuff is that you just hope to pay it forward. Like I hope to never have to ask anybody for anything because it's the hardest thing personally for me it's a to pride do thing for me or, for sure yeah. i don't even know if it's pride or if it it's just like uh, i'm sure it's partly pride for me but it's also just like i never want to be a burden to someone right and i never want to have that conversation of like look my intention is to pay you back but i can't predict the future i don't know how this is going to go so like i don't know how to breach that conversation of like listen i need a fucking handout and th th i think it also stems from like as a kid uh i was always in a position of needing a handout and never wanted to to ask for one or anything like that so you just get used to the struggle you just get used to finding ways of struggling without uh receiving some sort of like additional help sure and it becomes your new normal so i guess for me it was always a thing of like i'll find a way i don't want to burden anybody else with my problems but also baked into me whenever i'm in a good situation is okay, well, there's a lot of other people that are struggling in silence as well, and you're in a position to help. So kind of just like pay it forward so that if you ever do fall flat on your face, someone like Berto will recognize that you're struggling and just be like, look, man, here, you know, you don't even have to ask, like just here. And that was like probably one of the most meaningful things somebody could have done for me because I would have never fucking asked. Like I would have never asked for that 5K. I would just continue to... Pay do my bills on credit, do whatever I had to do, like hustle on the side. I mean, you're in a kind of like a position of like in a good position to have be able to get 15k worth of credit cards and stuff like yeah my credit to, was perfect yeah they'd be able to extend that a lot of people that are in that situation won't be able to get that no yeah yeah i was getting yeah i was getting uh a lot of credit extended to me at relatively low interest rates sure. um and yeah i think my my uh because you have like basically a, a collective credit window right so um you know things like your car payments your credit cards all those things that they, they, they equal up a total amount of of debt that you can incur based off of your risk factors yeah and i think at the time uh my total my total credit window was somewhere in the neighborhood of like 50 to 80k like i didn't have a car payment at the time and i was just able to take out a bunch of different credit cards that were giving me like 10k 15k limits yeah uh so yeah i mean it was definitely very fortunate um and you know luckily it lasted for less than a year yeah but that was also a very different time too because my cost of living was so low right like at that point i had never my high water mark was like 300k so i didn't really have an extravagant lifestyle i was driving a volkswagen jetta and <laughs> you know living with five people paying like four or five hundred bucks a month in rent not much in expenses and it's like <laughs> you could last for a pretty long period of time on like a one three bankroll yeah. or a two five bankroll but like if i went broke tomorrow I'm going to need help. You know, you're going to need a hundred K minimum just to, to get back on your feet. Yeah. Just to get back on your feet, to have work for you. It's like, okay, well I'm going to have, you know, X amount monthly nut that I need to cover. 
that might be in like the five to ten k range and you'll need that hundred k immediately when you go broke because if not it's gonna be a snowball effect right right so and, like and now make... the money borrowed becomes very expensive yeah but now it's basically like interest so it's like really exactly fun. yeah yeah so that's what i mean it's like a much trickier spot for people who are actually good at the game that are well established because they have a lot of loaning power or, or borrowing power but the issue becomes that uh their ability to actually get themselves on their feet is difficult because their cost of living is so high yeah. and the expenses are so high. So the, the, the tax that they incur just to try to get back to zero is so fucking high, right? Like using Ian as an example, if he owes, let's just say he only owes Jaffe and, and Kane and it's a million dollars. But then on top of that, his cost of living is like 150K a year, right? Now, all of a sudden he needs to be earning, uh, if he wants to pay them back in like five years time, he needs to earn like four hundred thousand a year yeah. just to even be able after to taxes. pace that. Yeah, after, after taxes. taxes, just to even be able to keep that pace and not have to borrow from somebody else. And that would only give him a fifty k role, working role, every single year. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it's like you actually have to be earning somewhere in the neighborhood of like you need to basically be earning what you owe, like a million a year, mm-hmm. in order to pay them back in a reasonable amount of time of like three or four year timeline. So it's like you know a lot of this stuff is just so so far impossible um and you know people don't realize it because we come from the early 2000s where like big scores were just happening and you go from zero to a couple million really quickly and shit like that but we weren't selling back then man we were just trying to heave it up it in yeah you're just trying to heave it up it's like okay well i have two thousand i'm gonna grind two five and i'm gonna get it up to fifteen thousand and then I'm going to go play this $1,500 WSOP event. And, oh, look, I binked it for 800 k Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, now we got some breathing room. Who do I owe? Who can I pay back? Like, you know, how can I keep myself? But the gambler's ruin thing comes into effect, right? If you're constantly uh, putting yourself in excessive risk spots where you're never deloading the risk, right? As you accrue scores, if you don't deload the risk then you're just going to continually put yourself in a situation. It's like, uh, it's almost like a reverse Nightingale or Martingale situation, rather. Nightingale, Jesus. <laughs> uh, a reverse Martin. You're like Martingaling yourself. Right. Where it's like, if your right. risk goes up exponentially mm-hmm. with the amount of money that you you're have, 100%. you're 100% going to go broke. Go, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's, that's really lost on a lot of the community when it comes to, you know, the hopium of trying to get out. And then the hopium from the side of the, that's being owed of hoping that you get out. This is why selling is so popular now. And this is why, because people understand these things. Yeah, that was actually a really great uh, basis for what this episode was supposed to be about. I mean, we spent a solid hour kind of <laughs> talking about the dark sides of all this. Right. And uh, it's fitting because I think that, I, I think Doug actually put out a pretty good tweet thread um, kind of addressing the aspect of of selling and and staking and uh, things of that nature. So yesterday he put out a tweet. Sorry, I can't see which one you have on screen. Uh, Torn on how much of Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So yesterday he put out a tweet that basically said he's torn on how much of himself to keep in this million-dollar cash game. Basically, uh, it's it's just an emotional hedge, right? So he's basically saying if he sells too much and he wins, he's going to be upset. And if he sells too little and he loses, he's going to be upset. That's like, yeah, of course, man. This is the This is the mental gymnastics that we go through every single time we're put into a good opportunity that is also very volatile. And the difficulty comes from trying to predict the volatility. Yeah. Right. If it's just a million, so say he's playing a million dollar buy in tournament. And uh, so it's a fixed cost. 
and he has an idea what his ROI is. Like, let's say he has 15% ROI. He can just run a variance calculator and it'll tell him precisely how much risk he should take uh, conservatively or aggressively, right? Um, and it'll basically tell him like what the probabilities are that he you know, has an outlier score or loses the million uh, based off of that win rate. It's a lot fucking tougher when you're dealing with a very like erratic cash, cash game scenario where the stakes are 501k but they could play as big as 501k, 2k, 4k, 8k. <laughs> Your lineup could be as maniacal yeah. as having, you know, four or five guys who have five or six million in front of them and just like don't care and play it like as if it's small stakes. Or it could be as nitty and tight as it being like you and six other pros, all of which are under like high monetary pressure. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden the game plays a lot smaller. This is what happened with high stakes poker. I way oversold for that lineup. Way oversold. Because I thought it was going to play like a 1K, 2K game. Right. I brought $800,000 to that game. No way that 800000 was ever going to be at risk with the way that the game played out. It was much, much smaller. It played true to 200, 400. In which case, I probably could have kept like 80% of myself. But instead, I sold down to like, I only had 40% of myself. And I think people try to equate it to the stakes, right? So they look at it and they say, okay, like it's 200, 400. I'm rolled to play 100, 200. I'll sell half, right? right? But that's not very accurate because in this instance, I sold you know, 60%, but I'm actually rolled to play 200, 400. So I didn't have to sell at all. The reason I'm selling is because of the lineup that was curated. I expected it to play closer to 1K, 2K, which is what we played the last time I played with persons at the bike where I didn't sell nearly enough, <laughs> right? Like I, I wasn't aggressive enough with my selling because I was told it was a 100, 200 game. And I was like, Oh, the biggest it'll play is 400, 800. Right. So I'll just like sell half. And then the next thing I know I'm in for half a million and we're playing one K two K for the majority of the fucking stream. It's like, all right, well we've over risked. Right? Did you see his comment on this thread? Uh, anyone who doesn't think being stake matters or changes approach to okay. So I don't understand here. Is he agreeing now with Doug? Because I thought no. he was shitting on people who he's still shitting on people. He's okay. still shitting. Um, we'll, we'll we'll have that conversation. Uh, bring it back up in a minute because I want to talk a little bit more about the logistics of staking versus selling uh, before we start to talk about the emotional money factor. Um, I think this is something that largely gets lost in the conversation and you heard it on high stakes poker when Rob was kind of needling Doug, there's a huge fucking difference between staking and selling. And Mm -hmm. it seems to continually get lumped in together. And there seems to be this massively negative connotation to both. First of all, it's like neither one of them should really be perceived negatively. It's, it's largely what drives the poker economy without staking and selling the ecosystem would dry up so fucking fast because it's a very volatile cash intensive market. And it's really, really hard for even the best players to be fully liquid at all times and have enough of themselves to earn while deleveraging their risk, right? You just have to be aggressive in certain spots. Sometimes those spots aren't going to work out. And then you're going to have to spend a lot of time grinding either smaller yeah, or for a lesser percentage I was say, of yourself. You'd see way less bigger games. You'd see a lot more for sure. stakes games. You, there'd be like all these, you know, 10, 20, and 25, 50 games everywhere right. instead of the 200, 400 games. Precisely. Um, and, you know, the big difference is that when you're selling, you're immediately at risk. 
So you're just deleveraging some of your risk. If the buy-in is $100,000 and uh, you need to have your risk of ruin be 60, you're going to sell 40% of that. Whether it's tournaments or cash, it doesn't make a difference. People are just very accustomed to it with tournaments because it's a fixed buy-in with a fixed output. Or sorry, a variable output, right? Um, and people, under, they, they equate it one-to-one. -one. They understand how it works. But what they don't really actually see is the bigger picture of it all where that purchase of equity is just worth some return of ROI, right? It's just like investing in a company. Even though it's a short-term investment, a one-time deal, it's still very much akin to just buying a stock and then flipping it at the end of the day or mm -hmm. mandatory, like, like being forced to flip it uh, by day's end, right? And just living with the result of it either going up or down. Um, there's nothing embarrassing about this, right? People are not inherently just going to be worth tens of millions of dollars. And in a very cash-intensive space, the people who are worth tens or hundreds of millions of dollars will be the venture capitalist, right? We have plenty of that in poker, whether it's wealthy businessmen who want to invest passively or it's well-established professionals who have outgrown the stakes that they play or well-rolled enough to play the stakes that they play that they want to bring other people up and earn passively through their progress, right? The other thing that really needs to be understood about selling specifically is that once you start playing a certain level, there's no option to go down. When I play 200, 400, there's no option for me to just go play 50, 100 if I take a big shot and miss, right? So what ends up happening is you just have a lesser piece of yourself. You make the game 50, 100. Yeah. And this is what I think like Rob and, and Eric don't seem to understand whenever they're talking about, uh, I don't want to play against somebody who doesn't have all of themselves. Like, I know that's more person stance than, than Rob's. But like, first of all, you're kidding yourself if you think those private games that you're playing in with all of the characters that we see on TV and a lot of the ones that we don't, you're kidding yourself if you think they all have 100% of themselves. Yeah. They fucking don't. They just absolutely do not. Like, I know, the, I know the people playing these games. Like, they just fucking don't, man. <laughs> there are so many people in those games that do not have more than $10 million that are playing 2K, 4K. Like, no chance in hell they're sitting with 10% or more of their net worth and having it all at risk. Somebody every else, single day. Somebody the other day wrote on Twitter that they've never sold or been staked in their life. It was Andy. I saw it was that. Andy. Yeah. And I, I was like, wait, what? Hold the fuck up. Which Andy? Andy Stacks. Andy Stacks. Andy yeah. Stacks. He plays pretty big, bro. <laughs> whatever, man. People can claim whatever they claim. If he's never sold or or uh, been staked, God fucking bless him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. God bless him. Pretty God wild. bless G Man. I, I don't know how they've done it. I don't know how they could possibly have that much fucking money because Andy plays a million deep. If you're playing a million deep, I don't care if you're playing 100, 200, or 1K, 2K. If you're playing a million deep, you have 20 million liquid. At, liquid. at least, yeah. Or, or net worth, like whatever. You just do. Yeah. You just fucking do or you sold. Because I've played a million deep plenty of fucking times. And, you know, many, many times it was a quarter of my net worth. And like, that's just not okay to lose in a pot. <laughs> it's you just, did it anyway. It's just not. No, I didn't. Oh, oh, That's what said, I mean. Oh. I fucking didn't. I, I had. Said, I had a third of myself because I'm not an idiot. Okay, I thought you said that you. Never mind. Like yeah, no, no I've I had said, case money on the table, yeah. but it's when it's replenishable. Right. It right. doesn't matter if you sit with your last 10k. Right. Of course. 
you'll make 10k again yeah, it's a lot easier to go from zero to 10k than right. it is from 10k to 100k or to 100k to a million right you can't have eight million dollars and then just sit with you know 20 percent of it every time right. you buy in yeah and then whenever you go broke just say well it's been a good fucking run <laughs> you know or you get down to your final million and you just go hey man i i think you know i can't do this anymore and try to figure out what you're gonna do with it it's like sure okay yeah taking shots and missing it's a thing in life but like that seven million that maybe got burned at the attempt of making three or four million more it it hurts more to lose than it does benefit right. you to win going from eight to eleven doesn't really change much but going from eight to one alters your entire adulthood you know your entire course moving forward is going to be completely changed god damn it chelsea or chauncey that's, that's chauncey don't, don't talk about your oh my goodness <laughs> i'm bleeding why <laughs> get his ass chauncey i was just looking yeah you. get his I ass why does he climb me like i don't understand um, he loves you. <laughs> typical abusive relationship for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, I, I think the big thing that I want to clarify, and now we can talk about what you were saying uh, before uh, about Eric kind of saying, like, tell me that money doesn't affect people. It's like, well, of course it does, man. But no one in your game is sitting with mon um, an amount of money that affects them. No one. One sec. Let's go into Lee's corner for a moment. Good. Shout out to Lee for the super chat. Some of this only cowards sell action probably comes from the old Doyle RIP. Macho, machismo. Machismo. That real men bounce between wealthy and broke weekly. Read the books. They bragged about it. Yeah, they bragged about it though. Uh, uh, sorry. Thank you, Lee. You're right. Um, they bragged about it because they're their survivors. They fucking made it out. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. true. You don't hear 2J Cloutier bragging about it. Right. He didn't make yeah. it out. No, he didn't fucking oh. make it out. The guy's out selling his bracelets at pawn shops. Yeah, it's just like... The thing is, like, what Eric is is asking everyone to do, he would never do himself. Exactly. He would never... Like, what right. a bunch if of someone, billionaires... If someone invited him right? to a 10, yeah. million, a 10 million, million dollar game. Yeah, all yeah. these billionaires get together, and they're like, we want to play uh, 100,000, 200,000, and you need to put your all entire... Of your money. All of your money at risk. He's going to... Say fuck no! I'm never gonna do that, right. right? But that's what he's asking these these other players to do. Well, I always set up the game, right? And, and the <laughs> thing is, is that uh, you know, I, I think a lot of what you hear from from the recreational side, the businessman side of of Eric, of Rob, of uh, you know others that may clamor the same thing is that well, this is our leveling factor against pros. You guys are better at the game than us. We're better at money than you. So we want to be able to quote unquote bully you out of pots and force you to play differently because the money matters and that's fair that's completely yeah. reasonable but alternatively you could just not invite pros right? True, right so just don't invite the pros if that's why do they have to invite the pros i mean it's a simple answer i wasn't aware that rob had the same stance as uh eric he doesn't really it's he, do, he doesn't he doesn't as much but like um he certainly agrees with eric like he stated as much, but there's a reason that they invite the pros. They want to play with the pros. They want to play with the best. They right? need the pros. They need the pros. You yeah. need, need the game. If you just invite all businessmen who mostly play relatively tight and are trying to make the nuts, you're going to have a boring game. Yeah. So now a guy like Rob wall. who wants to gamble wants a pro who's going to come in and fight with him. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. You want to be able to have somebody who actually bluffs on the river sometimes so that you can make money with your good hands. 
Yeah. The, the, you know, this, this narrative of we don't want any professionals in our game is actually very false. If you look at all of the private games, I'm, I'm privy to most of them. They all have one or two pros in them. Because they're facilitators. They move the money around. Yeah, I mean, they create action. They know that they need to give up EV to be there. So we don't want to give up EV by sitting with our case money. We, we want to give up EV by playing 45% of hands instead of 27, which is correct. Right? Even when you go to like house games and stuff like that, it's the same shit. Like there's two or three people that just rotate the same seats and they play good poker. Yeah. And mm -hmm. like it's just surrounded by VIPs. Right, because if it were just all businessmen, which some of those games exist, don't get me wrong, there, there are some stakes that are just too high and it, it is just pure businessmen, but what they often find is that they get bored because the pecking order amongst them isn't, uh, it, it isn't super, super clear, right? And the issue is that a couple of them are going to be really awful and then everybody else is going to kind of conform and you're just going to have this collection or pool of guys that enjoy the game of poker and enjoy the company of the people that they're around but nothing ever progresses so the really bad ones hit the poker hospital quickly even if they have infinite money like the poker hospital is still a thing i know a guy who has like a fucking 65 foot yacht and he would be in the poker hospital multiple times a year it's like this guy's near billionaire what is the poker hospital whenever you lose your so much of your poker bankroll that you can't play you're in the hospital. <laughs> so it's like, you know, this guy loses a couple million a year, which is less than a percentage of his net worth. Right. And it's too much for him. He, he doesn't want to risk anymore. How do you think these people got rich, man? It wasn't by being frivolous with money. Right. So it's like, yeah, they have a certain spend that they're willing to lose. And, you know, the fact is that the games, as they get higher and higher and higher, understand that in order for us as pros to be incentivized to play, we still have to have a meaningful piece of ourselves. And no matter what, if you, if you invite me to a 20K, 40K game, I still have to sell that down to like 200, 400. So I'm going to have like 1% of myself, right? <laughs> it might not even be worth it. Yeah. At that point, it may not even be worth it because for me to actually acquire the amount of money necessary to play that game, which is probably going to be like, I don't know, 15, 16 million, where now I'm putting up like half a million to play. And in return, I'm getting like, you know, a th what, 3%? It might not even be worth it, you know, because like how often is this 20K, 40K going to actually pop up if I lose, right. if I lose 10 million, you yeah. know, and it costs me like 400K or, or 300K or something like that. And if I win, like how much can I win? Am I going to win 10 million? If I do like, okay, I make 300K, but like I could just, you know, go have way more of myself in a 501K game right? where it's going to be equally as wild and equally as crazy. So, you know, don't get me wrong. We all are desperate to find ways to climb the ranks, to increase our wealth, to increase our liquidity and our resources available to us. But to do it irresponsibly, like, they, like, like is being suggested, that, that you're a coward if you're not just YOLOing it off for one bullet. A lot of these guys think that like there's more, there's more to gain if you just take, like if you're Doug... You just take one $1 million bullet to this game and take all of yourself. They think that that's better than having a million dollars of exposure and selling, you know, 60%. Yeah. Right? And then having like three bullets to play the game. It's just not. Right? You have a skill edge. Being in the seat is worth a lot of fucking money. So it's like, sure, of course, you might 
uh, when you win, your wins will be more meaningful to you. But when you lose, your losses are also going to be significantly more meaningful. And your average rate of return is probably just going to naturally be lower for all the reasons that Doug stated in that thread. Um, I actually, you know, I know that people probably weren't expecting me to uh, take such a hard stance in agreement with him, but uh, I think the thread is like really well stated. He said, there's this weird macho element to people trying to argue against selling pieces in poker. You have a set bankroll. Sometimes games are bigger than your bankroll. To offset this, most, most of the best players in the world will sell pieces to make the game appropriately sized. For some reason, there's this movement against selling action as if it's a negative thing that leads to being, or that needs to be stomped out or changes the game. Poker players, including the best players in the world, have been selling action in the biggest games to mitigate risk uh, basically forever. And the best example that I think is a very relevant one was the corporation. People forget, Andy Bill is worth infinite money, man. They were playing fucking 100K, 200K limit poker. <laughs> they were sitting with tens of millions of dollars. So it was a $100 million swing. Yeah. Who the fuck was going to play against him? Right. There is no player pool. Right. It was 100K, 200K? That's so yeah. crazy. I, didn't know that. I mean, it's limit, but still. Yeah. There was no player pool for Andy Bill at those stakes. Right. So what did he do? He said, okay, I'll play all of you one at a time. Mm -hmm. Put all of your money together. You guys can be a, <laughs> a, a, a complete business. It'll be me versus your corporation. Right? <laughs> what a gangster. <laughs> yeah. And he was winning for a while. Was he? Ivy came in and did work, man. Mm -hmm. He came in and did serious fucking work to, to bring it back. And I think this happened. I think there were multiple iterations of this. Um, I was talking to Daniel about it the last time I played with him. Uh, I think he said that he didn't have anything involved or any involvement with it because he didn't agree with a couple of the people who were um, given the ability to play. But in any event, like, this is just business. And that's the craziest part to me that I don't understand from the businessman's perspective. You would never in a million years suggest a startup founder to risk it all on an idea. Yeah. If it's a good idea, the first thing you would suggest is finding some sort of angel investment or venture capitalist to back that idea and help you grow it to scale. It's no different in poker, man. We have a certain set of skills that if we get to play long enough will give us some sort of return. And if the game's too big, then some other people who do not have that same set of skills but do have liquidity will get to earn right alongside with us. That's the nature of the game. And it's what keeps the ecosystem so fucking healthy. Yeah. If there weren't guys like me out there investing in the 2.5 and the 5.10 community, it would, it would stop existing, right? It would be a slow decline, but eventually it would cease to, dis, uh, cease to exist because at that, even at that stake level, as low as it may be, it's probably like 30% outside money coming in, right? Like worldwide. If we're including online, if we're including live, if we're including like every... If you're talking 5.10 and below, probably 30% of the ecosystem is made up by backing. Yeah. Hmm. By selling pieces. Think about the World Series. I wonder. Yeah. yeah. Think I mean, about I, how much money. Well, think about how many people playing 1K NL online are getting backed. Yeah. It's got to be a reasonable chunk. 30% of the pool mm -hmm. seems pretty, pretty close to true, right? Yeah. No, I'm not disagreeing. I mean, it's the same thing live. There's such a big gap now between 510 and the next stake. 
Right. Like some places have 1020 as a bridge. Most everywhere else is just 510 and then private 100, 200. <laughs> Hard to make the jump. Right. So it's like what ends up happening is you have a lot of really tough fucking players in the pool that are, that, that are sucking up a lot of the win rate. So what happens to all the, the break-even players, the guys who have small win rate? Well, there's only so far they can go back. You can't make a livable wage at 1-2. So the most they can do is go back to 2-5, or they could just piece themselves out in these tougher games and learn to survive, right? So maybe I'm overestimating a bit at 30%, but like it's a big... Transition to the tournaments. ABI of 2K or under. Massive amount of that liquidity is backing. A massive amount. Backing and, and selling. And selling, yeah. Right. Oh, shit. Even over. Oh, I mean, it gets even more obvious once you start to get the high rollers, but that's because the pool is so small. Right. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Right? Like, if you look at an average 2K buy-in, uh, that pool was very big. You might be mm-hmm. looking at, like, tens of thousands of people playing well, those look at the, I mean, just take, like, just take the main event as a, just, like, a separate thing and, like, think how many people have all of themselves in the main event. Sub... Sub 30%. For sure, I think. Sub 25%. Yeah, I don't think it was always that way. I think the main event was the shot. It, main event used to, yeah, it was the shot, but that's when, you know, you would see that there was 800, but I also 2,500 people in it. Yeah, now, I also think it, it became... 8, I also think it became the model for why Risk of Ruin is so important mm-hmm. and why you need to be more considerate about how you take your shots. Yeah. Because I think everybody has visions of winning the main event mm-hmm. and feeling like shit if they only have half of themselves. Right. But it's just like, bro, if you win $10 million and you have half, you're going to be fine. Yeah, you'll be just fine. Right? <laughs> and you're not going to win the main event ever, really. <laughs> so having an extra yourself. 5K in your pocket or more because you can sell at such a high markup mm-hmm. is worth a lot of fucking peace of mind. You speak for yourself, man. I'm winning it this year. I, I don't know if I've ever... Hmm. How many times did I play the main event with less than all myself? I think only three times. That's, that's actually pretty impressive. I sold in 2013. I sold in 2012. And I was backed in 2008. Damn, you're old. What's funny, because like the yeah. first three or four times I played it, I had like all myself because what we'd, win, win, we'd just win seats. Yeah, when online was booming and you, they would just give away these, these 300 seat satellites. Well, the notion of like selling to the main wasn't then, even really a thing either. Right. Right. So I had all myself. I remember I had all myself in 2006 because I won a seat. Yep. 2007, Same. I didn't play. Same. 2008, uh, I came out here and had had a good first half of the, first half of the year and ended up having all of myself. 2009, I was broke. John Ford put me in. 2010, I had 98% of myself. That was the year that I got 43rd. Yeah, I gave, uh, I think I gave Berto yeah. a small sweat. I mean, a couple sweats and swaps here. To, that's, Actually, I'm, that's whatever. But. Maybe I even had all myself because I don't think I knew Berto yet. Yeah. So I don't know who would have had a piece. But yeah, I had somewhere close to 100%. Of my, I, I paid the full 10K. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing 2011 because I had money. 2012 I sold, 2013 I sold, and then every year thereafter I've had 100% of myself. Yeah. So yeah, three times in a 20-year career, I guess I've played the main event now 16 times. Um, it's, and even now, as... But you're, you're the exception. 100% sure. I'm an right. exception yeah, yeah, yeah. because like even now that I have money, 
and 10k doesn't mean that much to me uh by comparison to 10 years ago mm -hmm. i have less of myself routinely year over year now <laughs> than i ever did back then when 10k was a big amount from swaps and from swaps yeah. yeah my first year i had 100 percent of myself or i think i i gave away like 10 of people asking and then my second year i think i sold like 50 or 60. i had five per, or i had five percent of you no, i had one percent of you in the uh in when when you ever made your deep run when you finished like a hundred and something oh yeah, yeah that was yeah. a one percent swap yeah yeah i was very excited I, about everybody that. asked me for swaps so i just said yes mm -hmm. all right i would love to keep this conversation going I, I actually think it's a really important one we're having so much fun though uh we have to go because i thought my five o'clock meeting uh, uh, was it five? It's it Eastern is five o'clock Eastern. Five o'clock Eastern. Uh, <laughs> so I gotta, I gotta get out of here and speak to the boys at Ruse. Um, thank you guys so much for joining us. I hope that today's strat chat was uh, a helpful one. Um, this is probably a subject that we'll revisit again in the future, especially mm -hmm. maybe as the million dollar cash game comes up. Given that uh, you know it, it won't be that difficult to speculate who does and who does not have all of themselves. Uh, a lot of people are already out there selling on State Kings. Uh, I think I saw a blank check Ben throwing up 10% or 8% 8 or some shit like that. Uh, Doug put up a package and maybe a few others. Rampage, I think, is selling publicly as well. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the economics of all this work out. Uh, I do hope that the public perception of both selling and backing changes. Uh, it's such a ludicrous thing, man. I admitted to being backed like, <laughs> you know six or seven more i guess 2014 2013 so 10 years ago whenever i first started playing 300 600 1200 and i had a half a million dollars like no shit i was backed <laughs> and i had so much public flack for it yeah. like this guy owes his backers millions of dollars i don't fucking owe anybody a goddamn cent like we <laughs> made money we parted ways because one person didn't want the risk anymore and the other person was pretty fucking well off so it's like you know this is how business works and everybody would stand to understand it a hell of a lot better it would keep people from getting stolen from and it would certainly keep games a lot healthier uh so that's my my rant for the day i hope you guys enjoyed it we'll be back tomorrow noon pacific as always with the exception of today uh and i'm not sure what we're gonna be talking about but it'll be a good one so what? we'll see you guys all then why weren't we all Fuck talking us, today baby I had to spend a little extra time on the thumbnail. It, it was, was great it, thumbnail. It was worth it. Yeah, it was great. All right. Yep. Let's See fine. you guys. Peace. <laughs>